Knoxville Game Design February 2020 Java Game Development with Jared, Jacob, Jeffrey, Dylan, and Levi. Welcome everyone to Knoxville Game Design for February 2020. This is a monthly discussion of game development topics. My name is Levi Smith. I'm in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. Currently on the call we have Dylan Wolf in Lenore City. Hi. And also we have Jacob. Hi. Uh, so start out with a little bit of news. First of all, this is actually our 50th episode. Uh, you can actually go out and uh, look on the podcast page. Let's see here, where is it at? No, I just brought it up. <laughs> but yeah, go to go to podcast, and you can find all of our previous podcasts. So yeah, I saw it's forty nine episodes already. So that includes uh, that first year that we did in twenty sixteen at the Technology Cooperative, uh, where we kind of played a indie game every month, and then after that, and in the second year, we started going deeper into actual game development topics uh but yeah uh 50 episodes i may have to go on the server and change this a little bit so some of the old episodes may start dropping off so i think there's like some configuration that uh may have to change oh it looks like we have uh jared with us hey jared hey am i audible yep i hear you Oh uh, yeah, we're just going over a little bit of news to start out right now. Uh, so I'm going to share screen, share. Yeah, so these are all the episodes. Uh, yeah, so this is four years of Knoxville Game Design since we've been doing the podcast. Uh, the first episode that we did was in January 11th of 2016. Uh, so we've been going pretty strong with almost one episode every month. Since then, I uh, wanted to show off uh, a blog that I was reading from one of the people in our Discord chat, Mike Garcia. He has a good article here. You can find him at mgarcia.org on the social media feedback loop. And I kind of feel with what he's saying here with starting a lot of projects and never finishing anything. But yeah, he's got a lot of ideas about... Uh, um, uh, game development and things like that. One thing that I thought was interesting is the imposter syndrome. I hear a lot of people talk about the imposter syndrome, but I feel like anyone who actually like works hard and uh, buster and gets stuff done really doesn't feel this. So I don't know. Maybe the imposters, people that feel imposter syndrome, are imposters. He, he has some good thoughts on that. So definitely check his blog out right there. Uh, one thing that I found when I was searching some game development forms, I was actually on, uh, Seth Robinson's forum. Uh, he's the creator of Lord and other games, Legend of the Red Dragon BBS game. And I saw somebody was talking about, uh, a Discord, like, app store, or where you can sell your games through Discord. And I'd never heard anything about this. So I don't know if this is new. There's something called Nitro so built into Discord. So I don't know if you have to like sign up for Nitro or what. But uh, yeah, you can just click on sell your game. And you say let's go. And it has this thing where you can set up teams and add applications. I really haven't jumped into this yet. 
but something I definitely want to check out. So it might be a good alternative to like Itch.io, Game Jolt, or even Steam. So I'm going to look into this a little bit more and maybe know more about it next month. Uh, yeah, on our Discord channel, it's been going pretty strong. Uh, I did go in here and add some new emoji, so you can use the Sunsphere emoji or the Unity emoji, Game Maker, or Unreal emoji. So you just click on the little face right there, and they should pop up right there. So if anybody has any recommendations for any other emojis for our channel, just just let us know. I did create a role for the Knoxville Game Design Originals. Uh, if anybody has recommendations for any other roles, I might come up with one like for contributors or or people who regularly attend the meetings. I uh, wanted to welcome the new people to our Discord channel. Uh, first of all, we have uh, Trumpet7347, and he says, Hey, I'm a software dev that moved up to Knoxville not too long ago, and I've always been interested in game development. Uh, so he thought he would jump in on the our Discord channel. So yeah, we welcome Trumpet, and we also have Tambalaya, and also Gerald Burke. And I, I I don't know, I have never met Gerald before, but I have seen. Uh, I think he is the uh, uh, guy that runs the Tri City Game Developers. I guess that's uh, in Kingsport and uh, Johnson City and that Morristown area. So it looks like they're going to start moving all their stuff to Discord as well. Seems like Facebook groups are kind of dying out. So um, so we welcome Jared in our channel. Or Gerald, sorry. <laughs> uh, so, so, hey, Dylan, did you have anything you wanted to show off this month? Uh, no. Oh, okay. Hey, Jacob, did you have any game development projects you've been working on lately? I have, but I haven't really done anything with them recently. Oh, okay. Still working with Game Maker? Yes. Oh, okay. Well, we'll have Ludum Dare 45 coming, or 46 coming up in uh, uh, April, so we'll have a get-together then. Okay. Hey, Jared, have you been working on anything lately? Well, I had my little practice project for learning JMonkey Engine. Oh, okay. Um... So you're Which Black I, Jar in our Discord channel, right? Yes. Oh, okay, it's good to meet you. I know we've been communicating back and forth quite a bit lately. Which, um, that was kind of just intended as a practice project, so I don't know if I'll do a lot more with it right now. I may I may revisit it later. Mm-hmm. But I've kind of stepped out of that in order to try and work on sort of a GUI library because I realized I needed GUIs and I, if I wanted to do some more things and... I don't want to redo that every single game. Mm-hmm. Uh, so is this GUI library is written in Java, right? Yeah, it's written specifically for use with gate with a JMonkey engine. Oh, okay. I, I know you have your JMonkey engine on your GitHub, right? Um, the library? Yeah. Yeah, I started on the library. It's a long way from being really usable well i mean you could use it to just make a really simple button but i just kind of started that oh okay i mean the engine is on their own github because it's like it's it's not like i created the engine or anything oh okay that's uh i have my very small simple arcade engine but this is like a big fancy 3d engine in java that the people who know a lot more about game engines have been developing for 10 years so i decided rather do that than try to 
create a 3D engine. Oh, okay. Yeah, I've never done 3D in Java before. Seems like that'd be pretty complex. Um, well, I know that basically there's this lightweight Java game library, and every just about everything that's 3D in Java uses that at some level, and it's basically. It, have you seen like uh, what am I thinking of? Like, I'm thinking of something in C, and I can't think of the name of it. But there, there are several. It's basically most of it is a wrapper for like OpenGL. Open. That's so what I was thinking. OpenGL. Yeah. And it has OpenAL things, but basically it lets you write a 3D engine in Java in the same way you would if you were writing in C or C++, and it just has a very lightweight wrapper around that. Then JMonkey Engine is an actual engine that uses it, which... Oh, okay. So, See, yeah, I, L- I know I looked at your Knight Ferret engine before. You have that on your GitHub as well. Yeah, that's a fairly simple thing that is in uh, uses Swing, Mm-hmm. And Java 2D, where I basically made a cat Pac-Man get clone, and then I was going to make a space shooter, and I realized that probably 90% of the code was going to be cut and paste, so I stopped and sort of extracted it out into an engine. Yeah, that's always... I, I know I've done that with a few of my, like my old XNA games. Like, oh, I'm doing the same stuff over and over again. I need to extract this out and just put it in a library because I developed that resistor game and a lot of the draw commands and all that. I mean, all of it's a lot of the same. So I just had that library that I could pull into my new projects and, and not have to rewrite all that code again. Yeah, but it looks like you have a lot of projects on GitHub. I, I just still haven't gotten through here. I know I looked at your Pac-Man clone as Macy May. Uh, yep. Yeah, it's a nice little Pac-Man game. And so you have the source for all your uh, games out there, open source? Yeah, I have the source. So far, I've only actually completed two games. I have a, I have my early attempt at a 3D rendering engine that I just... I decided that that was one an example of the common beginner mistake of trying to make your first game your masterpiece. So oh I, yeah. <laughs> and since then, I've decided I'd rather focus on making games and just trying to be an engine geek, just so I could brag about being an engine geek. Basically, I'd rather just actually make the game. Yeah, I, I've been doing this for years, and I still haven't made my masterpiece. <laughs> yeah, but I think we all have that ambition to make something great <laughs> when we first start out, and. But yeah, that's that's what I do. I just make a lot of little small games, and yeah, none of them have been hits or anything. But uh, I've learned a lot along the way. Well, yeah, if you look at all, it's like there are two actual arcade games, and there's just a lot of other stuff. There are a couple of Minecraft mods and various other things. Some of them are like small practical applications and things like that, but. But yeah, there, so far I've only actually successfully made two games, or uh, unless you count my little practice game, but that's not really that much of a game at this point. Oh, okay. Yeah, very cool. Yeah, I know in our group we've had a lot of people that were into Minecraft, so it seems like Minecraft modding is, has been very popular. I know Mike Neal, he used to uh, being the group, he, uh, he, I think he got Minecraft running on a Raspberry Pi, I think, and he's done a, lo- done a lot of stuff with it. I would say that that's where I learned how to write code earlier, but I'd say most of my learned how to actually program I learned from modding Minecraft because that's where I had my first 
non-trivial projects. I wouldn't call them big in like a professional sense, but my first that were non-trivial and that I actually maintained for different versions and things like that and had to organize them. So I'd say that was a really a good experience for me as I, that's really where I learned to really program as opposed to simply knowing how to type some code. So I know the original version of uh, Minecraft, uh, which I was going to talk about today, was written in Java. Uh, so when you mod Minecraft, is that also in Java, or is that some other? Do they have some specific language for doing that? Yeah, it, it's in Java. There's, I think the non-Java version they're starting to make like a scripting language for that. But Minecraft modding is all in Java. It's basically decompiling, and people have figured out how to deobfuscate it and everything, and they kind of put in their license you're allowed to do that so it's there's no official modding api the the main modding there isn't modding api but it's a mod in of itself that's third parties but yeah it's it's all in java and basically going in and extending the engine or the the core game oh very cool that works yeah that's cool that uh when when i guess it was marcus preston when he was writing minecraft that they made it so, I don't know if he made it so in mind so that people could mod it or if people just went in there and kind of hacked it and figured out how to make their own thing out of it. I think it's the second. People figured out how to hack it and, but because Notch, the creator, had been big into modding things like Doom, he's like embraced that and just put in the license. Yeah, you can mod it as long as you don't try to sell your mods or distribute the source code to the main game. Yeah, I've been watching a lot of speed running on Twitch, and I know like they've modded almost like every single NES game out there, like Zelda. I was just watching Super Mario Three, so they can like change the levels and make unique randomized levels, and it's pretty amazing what people can do once you figure out the innards of programs like that. Oh, looks like Jeffrey just joined us. Hey, Jeffrey, how's it going? Uh, I think Jeffrey just went mute. <laughs> I'm good. Just oh. joining in. Cool. Been doing anything interesting? Been doing any 3D printing or anything? Um, um I've been coding training robots. <laughs> oh, cool. Training, trading robots or training robots? Trading. Like, they make uh, currency trades. Whoa, that sounds cool. <laughs> just doing that in my spare time. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, uh, I, yeah, so are they actually are these like bots or actually physical robots? Well, they're uh, they're they're software programs that run and make trades in in trading software. It's a you know a, a collection of them I have are up about twenty to between twenty and thirty percent since July. So oh, wow. not too bad. Yeah, that that sounds awesome. Yeah, I've always been really interested in in currency. I have a collection of like Japanese yen and. It's pretty amazing, like the the like the 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 way it fluctuates day to day, the 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 values for trading in currency. It's a it's an interesting game. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just a game. You're not dealing in real currency. Very cool. Okay, I'm going to go ahead and start with the uh, topic for this month. Let's bring up the notes over here. So we're, uh, so it sounds like uh, hopefully nobody's bored by this this month, but this is going to be a basic introduction to, to Java. 
Uh, I got the slides here, but I'm going to do it in respect to game development from a game developer's perspective. Java can be used to do many different things. I know it's running like, on like a billion different devices ubiquitously and things like that. <clears throat> so a little bit of background on Java. It was de designed by James Gosling at Sun Microsystems. Uh, 1995 was the first version. I started using Java in 1998 when I started at Georgia Tech. That was like the first language that they taught us there, or that we had to learn <laughs> there. And it sounds like, uh, from what I read in our Discord channel, a lot of other people started with Java as well. Uh, one benefit to Java is it is object-oriented. It wasn't the first object-oriented language. There were other... Uh, languages, I think, like Simula and Modula. And as we talked about a few months ago, Smalltalk 80 was obviously before Java. Uh, but uh, Sun, or Oracle bought out Sun Microsystems. I don't know, I guess that was about 10 years ago or so. Time flies. So Oracle now owns Java, Java JDK, uh, and all that. Um, but there is an open JDK, open Java development kit, uh, implementation. I think that's community driven and Oracle just takes what is created by OpenGA JDK and I guess they put their stamp of approval on it then call it the, the, the official Java JDK and JRE. Uh, one thing I wanted to go ahead and point out up front is Java is not JavaScript. So if you, if anyone out there listening came here for a JavaScript presentation, this is not JavaScript. So I think a lot of people get confused about this. So JavaScript is a loosely typed language. It's kind of like a scripting language. Uh, it's primarily used in web browsers for doing client-side scripting. Uh, but I have worked with it uh, on the command line before, so it is possible to do JavaScript command line. It's based on the ECMAScript specification and is originally developed by Netscape years ago. So we're not talking about JavaScript today. Uh, we're talking about just plain Java. So Java is strongly typed. It's very similar to other languages such as C-sharp and C, but it is object-oriented, but it's very similar to C-sharp. Java did come before C-sharp, so I kind of feel like Microsoft basically took what Java did. I think there was originally like a J++ years ago, so maybe C-sharp came out of J++. Uh, but Java, it actually compiles into platform-independent bytecode, where JavaScript is just scripting, it's interpreted. So actually do have to run a compiler for your Java programs. Uh, and you actually run these programs using what they call the Java Runtime env Environment. And that Java Runtime Environment is specific per platform. So it, based on what platform you're running, such as Windows, Macintosh, or Linux, you get a specific JRE for that. Then it can run that platform independent bytecode. So it's kind of nice. You compile once and you then give that bytecode to run on any system that you want. Uh, formerly, there are also things called applets where you can actually embed a Java program into a, a web page, but I think that's been discontinued or, or deprecated, whatever you want to call it. Uh, so yeah, I actually had a couple, few games that I that uh, I wrote as Java applets, and they don't seem to be able to run any longer. I think it might have been discontinued, like in Java Seven. Okay, so here's some of the pros of Java. Uh, as I just talked about, the bytecode runs on multiple platforms. 
Uh, I have some Java programs that I wrote like 20 years ago, and I could take that bytecode, the class files, and still run them on the latest Java runtime environment, which, which I think is really cool. Most things that I wrote five years ago in Unity don't even work anymore without uh, going through a lot of pain and effort. Uh, one thing that I really like about Java is the graphics API is built directly into the language. You don't have to go out and get any additional libraries or build anything in. It's just you download the JDK and it's all there for you to use. And uh, I'll talk a little bit about the AWT, which is the abstract window toolkit, I believe, and swing in a little bit. Um, the cons to Java uh, you have to distribute the Java runtime environment. I don't know if there's any licensing agreements that you have to worry about uh, with distributing that. I think if you just download it and include it with your your game bundle, I think you're okay. But I'll talk about things like jar files a little bit later, which makes that a little bit easier. Uh, loading assets can be a little bit difficult, such as sound and graphics. Uh, there really isn't a simple way to do that. There's something called a toolkit that you can use, but it seems like it's uh, it changes over time. And uh, uh, it, it, I remember when I was doing applets, loading graphics through an applet was different than loading graphics by the command line or in a standalone application. So loading graphics and sound can be a little bit difficult. And people have always said that Java is slow. Uh, I guess it's actually slower than platform-specific executables. Like if you write a game in C++, C, or C Sharp, and you compile that down into uh, operating system, uh, an operating system engine, such as a Windows EXE, well, obviously, Java is going to be slower than that because it still has to be run through the Java runtime environment. So if you want to get started in Java, uh, you can go out to the Oracle website and probably just go to your favorite search engine, type in Java JDK. Uh, see if I can shift click that. It's on this Oracle tech network. Let's see if I can copy this right here. Let's see if I can paste that in here. Uh, so yeah, you'll come up with a page like this. If you go out and get the latest Java version, which is currently 13.0.2, the JDK 13, uh, it's a little bit confusing. They call it Java SE. I think that's just uh, yeah standard edition. They they came out with a few different editions, like the Enterprise Editions, which includes a bunch of stuff for databases and doing connections and things like that. Uh, but yeah, if you just get the JD, Java SE JDK, you should be good to go. There's also uh, 1106 is the long-term service, LTS, so it's more of a stable version uh, than the latest version. But yeah, you just click JDK and download it, and it will come up with a lot of different uh, versions to download. So you can either get like Linux, Mac, or Windows, 64-bit or 32. You can either get it as a zip and EXE for Windows or DMG for Mac OS or a Deb or an RPM, whether you're running like Ubuntu or Red Hat uh, on Linux. And so you just install that. So I found out if you get the latest version, you don't have to sign up for anything. But if you do want to go in their archive and get an older version of Java, which typically you don't have to do, but I was looking for a tool called Apple Viewer, then to download like 
an old version of Java, the old version of Java JDK, you do have to sign up for an Oracle account. They ask you for a bunch of information like phone numbers and company information and all that. Uh, so, yeah, just watch out for that. Okay, so so hello world. So here's a simple hello world program that I wrote. So basically you have a class and the entry point for all Java programs is your public static void main and you want to pass in string or your string args array. You don't have to use those if you don't want to, but if uh, this will give you the command line parameters in an array. So all we want to do is create a new hello world class. So class is kind of like a structure, but it can hold variables and methods. So then your constructor is just your, the same name as the class, <clears throat> but you don't have a return type. So it's just public hello world. And to print out uh, something to the command line, we use system out print line. So that's all we need to do. So let's go to over here and I want to, and to run a Java program. Well, first to compile it, you do Java C, which is your Java compiler. And do hello world and then all of your Java programs are going to end with the Java extension and when you run this then it's going to create a let's see hello world star it's going to create a hello world class so to run this class file we just do Java hello world then it's going to say hello world uh, and if you use system out print line ln, then it will put a return at the end of that. I think you can do system out print if you don't want the extra extra carriage return at the end. So yeah, that's all. That's it. Uh, sometimes I know, especially in previous versions of Java, um, you had to set up your path in your environment variables to point to the location of your Java uh, installation. Uh, typically, I put mine in like D program files. So if you go out and you run like Java C version and it returns an error instead of a version number, then that means that your command prompt, which you just run by typing CMD in your, your search window, uh, that means that it's not aware of that location in your path. So then you have to do something like set path equals percent path percent then semicolon then put in the location of your JDK so you can see right here in my path I got dprogram files Java JDK 13.1 set dot bin you can refer to it explicitly using the old path but it's a lot easier if you just have it built in your path and you just like run Java like that so watch out for that um talked about all that the class follows your bytecode okay so, talked about public state void main is your entry point. Talked about that. Constructor must match class name. Uh, so, you create new objects, obviously, as I was talking about before, using the new keyword. So, there's no pointers, anything like that. You just say new, then your class name, and that will give you an, an instance of that object that you can assign back to a variable. Uh, there's no need to delete or free any of your classes or instances of your uh, classes, your objects. Uh, Java does have a, a garbage collection, so periodically it will come around and find things that no longer have references <laughs> that are just kind of like dangling out there, and it will clean those up and free those for you. I think... Uh, 
think Jared uh, said in our uh, Discord chat that uh, he uses, what was it, a sweep? I don't know the specifics. I think it's called something like and Sweep. I don't remember the exact name. But yeah, basically what it means is it's not keeping track of what you deleted and it's not keeping track of everything you have. It just keeps track of things like your main class and threads and a few, I don't remember, a few other things that it can definitely find anything still referenced from. And then when it does the garbage collector, it goes and finds everything that's that you, that's still reachable. And if it can't find it, it basically deletes it. Oh, okay. And yeah. That, I've never known the I, details behind it. I did until recently, and I did a lot of really kind of, in retrospect, dumb-seeming things. The things that would have made sense in C or C++ but make no sense in Java, like trying to create arrays with like a, a handle and things, because I thought if you had circular references that it might leak the memory if you deleted both of them. They'd keep each other alive, and that's not at all true because I, that was based on misunderstanding the garbage collector. Oh, but okay. The way it does it, where it finds everything valid, if you have two things, like if you had, say, a game where, like a a Sims type game, and you had two characters who were married and a link and a spouse in their this type of in their uh, field, mm-hmm. and you deleted them both, they the garbage collector would realize that no, you can't find them, so it just delete them. It wouldn't they wouldn't keep each other alive in memory somewhere, like I thought. Oh, okay. But I found that. I found that out pretty recently by talking to the JMonkey Engine Discord, and the people there knew more about garbage collection than I did. Yeah, I, yeah, I don't know. I know the basics of it. Uh, but yeah, there's, it looks like there's a Wikipedia page on tracing garbage collection. It looks like they have some diagrams here uh, of how that algorithm works. But yeah, I know, I've been working on my little C game, my SDL shooter, and I've run into an issue with it because, like, I have a length list uh, structure, and I put, and it has pointers to void pointer, or has a space for a void pointer. So I'm cram anything in there that I want to, but the structures that I'm putting in there have pointers to other objects. So when I clean that up, when I free, I have to actually go into each one of those structures and free what those structures are pointing to, and it just becomes a, a huge headache. So. I'm very grateful for languages like C Sharp and Java that have their own garbage collection built in. Uh, I guess one downside is like uh, you never do know when those things are going to be cleaned up. Um, so you yeah. may hit a lag spike if the garbage collector yeah. runs at an inopportune time. But yeah, I just thought that was an interesting, kind of useful thing to point out because I don't think any like beginning books or typically classes or tutorials or anything ever beat that. And in fact, I think I've seen some books where the authors apparently didn't know that <laughs> I took their bad advice. Oh yeah. Yeah. I think it's one of those things like people are just like, eh, don't worry about it. The garbage collector runs in the background and it'll handle everything for you. But if you have a program where you're creating millions of objects and <laughs> it'll quickly become oh, very I- important if you start to run out of memory. <laughs> Okay, so let's go back here. Um, so you have ver- various options for scoping your classes and variables, and this is standard for a lot of languages like C Sharp and C, or not C, but C Sharp and Java. And I think Ruby uses this too, but you have public, 
which means if I create an instance of a class or two different classes, class A can refer to that variable or method uh, in class B if it's declared public. If it's declared private, then class A won't be able to reference that variable or method if it's declared private. And protected is like a special case. So if you have class A, then class B is a subclass of class A, and it has protected methods, then that means that class A can reference those methods in the subclass, but no, no other class can. So if you have class C that's not a subclass, then class C can't refer to those variables or methods because it's not a, a subclass. So that's what protected is. It's, you probably won't see it too often, but I've had a few cases where it's, it's uh, been helpful. I mean, obviously, you could just declare everything public, but uh, that's not the way that they intended for it to be used. Um, okay, and also there's a, an API abstract programmer's interface uh, and Java docs, which are very helpful. So if you're learning Java, you just go to the the, the Java docs, and this has kind of looked the same ever since Java. See, I started in 1998 when we were using JDK 1.17b. <laughs> so this hasn't changed much. I think they've changed like the, the style sheets and everything, but it's always been this like three frame thing it's pretty nice if there's any class that i'm looking for like i want to look for like j label or something you can just search and then just click right there and you can find all of the methods the constructors and if i didn't mention earlier constructor is just like the entry point for a class it's kind of like initialize wherever you create a new class or a new instance of a class Using the new keyword, it's going to automatically call the constructor. So I think it's required, maybe not. But uh, if you pass in the wrong number of arguments to the constructor, then it will throw an error. But you can overload the constructor, which overloading just means you're passing different parameters. So you can have different implementations of this constructor method based on which parameters you pass in. It gives you all the uh, methods that you can call and the return type. So if you want to know what set horizontal alignment is, you can just click on that. And it gives kind of a quick description of what these are and other things to look out for. So that's the Java docs. So here's a simple game, a number guessing game that I, I usually start out with, uh, high or low. Uh, here's the code over here. So basically we're going to have three variables, a secret number, the number you're trying to guess, the number that you've just guessed, and the number of guesses. So we're going to set the secret number to a random value, 1 to 100. So the way to get a random value is using math.random. And I believe that gives you a value, a floating point value, uh, 0 to 1. So we're going to multiply that to, by 99 to get a value 0 to 99. Then we're going to add 1 to that, which gives us a value 1 to 100. And then we want to cast that as an integer because we don't want people to have to guess decimal points and things like that. So by putting int in parentheses, that means we're going to cast it. So it's just going to drop off. Uh, those decimal points. I think there's an alternative method. I think you can do like a math.floor instead of casting as an int, and it basically gives you the same thing. 
Uh, we're going to set our number of guesses or our guess number to negative one just as an initializer and the number of guesses to zero. Then we're going to have a big while loop. So while the guest number is not the secret number, then we're going to keep looping. So then it's going to print out a message, guess the number one to 100. And the nice thing, I can't remember what version of Java they started this in, but now they have a scanner class, which you can pass in the system in, in object. And that will allow you to read input from the command line. I remember back in Java 1.1, it was like this really hokey way of like trying to get command line input. And it took like 10 lines of code or something like that. So I really like this scanner class. But you do have to import it using Java Util Scanner. Uh, Util is a class you'll probably see a lot. I remember I used it a lot uh, back in Java 1.1. Uh, there's Java Util Vector, which is a kind of like a dynamically assized array. Uh, but I think now they have an array list that you can use instead, but I won't get into that today. So basically you read the number of the players guessed by using s.nextint. So that'll read the command line in and get the int value out of it and assign that to the guest number. We're gonna increase the number of guesses by one using plus plus. That's just a shortcut notation for add and assign one. So if the guest number is greater than the secret number, we're gonna print out lower. If it's less than the secret number, we're gonna press higher, guess a higher number. Then if it equals, we're gonna say correct and print out what the number was and then print out the total number of guesses. Then at that point, since the guest number equals the secret number, then this will be true. So then we're gonna jump out of the while loop. I mean, I guess you could put a break in there and just jump out right here, but I think this is a little bit more elegant right here. Oops. And so to start this thing up, we're going to call uh, uh, public static void main. Just create a new number guess right there. So show this in action. So I'm just do a type on num guess dot Java. So you can see the code here. It's not as pretty <laughs> on the command line as it is in the Notepad plus plus editor. But yeah, just run Java num guess. So I'm going to guess the number 50, higher, 75, uh, lower, so let's do 62, lower, let's do 58. So 58 was the correct number for total guesses. So anybody out there wanting to learn, I, I, I say with any programming language, you just make a simple game like this, I mean command line game, just to learn the basics, uh, just to get started. So after you get a simple thing like that working, we want to start doing graphics. So here's how you create a basic window. Uh, so Java has two different windowing toolkits. The original was the AWT, and you include that by importing Java AWT star and also Java AWT.event.star. That will give you the event handlers, which I'll talk about in a little bit. But this will allow you to do things like create a window, create buttons, create checkboxes, and things like that. So here's some simple code to get a window up and running. So uh, so the new version, <laughs> uh, the alternate version, is called Swing. So it was Sun's attempt of making platform independent GUI objects. So in the AWT, if you created a button, then that button will look different on Windows than it would look on Mac or Linux. But with Swing, it tried to make 
make it so that all these components look the same on all platforms. So I'm, I'm going to use the swings approach of doing this. Um, so, and all the swing components are preceded by a capital J. So in AWT, you may have like a frame and a label. In swing, you have a J frame and a J label. So you basically create a new frame. I call it F right here. J frame F gets a new J frame. You pass in the title of that frame. Frame is basically a window. Then I want to create a label object, which is basically just like a text label. Or you can actually put graphics and things in there as well. So I'm going to create a new J label, which says hello world. It's very important to set the preferred size of these. Otherwise, you're going to get like a really small window or maybe nothing at all. So I'm going to set the preferred size of the label to 800 by 600. Uh, there are other methods like you can set a max size and a min th size and things like that which come into play whenever you're resizing the window. Uh, we're going to set the horizontal alignment and in swing they have this nice swing constants dot center that you can pass in. I think before you actually had to pass in like an integer you never really knew what the integer represented so it's nice to have that. Uh, and to make if you don't set the font for the label, then it'll turn out really, really small. So we're going to set the font by creating a new font object and passing the parameter sans serif font.plane, and we're going to make it 96 uh, point size. So that's going to make it look really big. So to add this label back to the frame, we're going to use f.getContentPane, which is like the container the, for the frame, then we're just going to call add, then pass in that label. Then it's also important after you add that, that you call uh, f.pack. So that's going to take your frame object, then, then lay out all those graphical components whenever it gets started. Otherwise, you're not going to see anything when it starts. Uh, so in the old version of Java, when I was doing it, to handle things like closing and all that, you actually had to implement... Uh, uh, window listener and it's like seven different methods like on windows close on windows open on window initialize and blah 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 blah. so in swing they had this nice thing called set default close operation then you pass it jframe displays on close so that makes it so whenever you click that x on that window then it's going to close and free up the memory and then the final thing is you want to set the window to be visible. So you use f.setVisible and pass in true. So let's run this. Java, uh, what was it? Simple window. And you don't, so whenever you compile your Java program, it's going to create uh, an associated uh, class file with the same name. But whenever you run it, you just type in Java and then the name of the class without the dot class. So whenever you do tab completion, it wants to throw that dot class in at the end, but you don't want to do it. So here's the simple window. It just says hello world and you can resize it. Uh, oh, that's interesting. They actually have like the triple dots now. Uh, by default, it doesn't put it centered on the screen. So there's some code that I'll show a little bit later or send one of the programs that will allow you to do that. So we want to draw something to our window. So what we want to do is make a new J component object. So J all of these objects I was talking about, like J label and then like the checkboxes and all that, they extend or they're subclasses of J component. Uh, so you can just create a plain J component and draw directly on there. 
Now, the old way of doing this, you use the canvas object, but I think that's kind of like the old way of doing it. So I think everybody starts directly to the J component now. Uh, what you want to do is you want to override the paint component. So by default, J component has an implementation of paint component, but you can go in there and write your own since you're subclassing this, and that's what you're going to use to draw. Uh, this paint component is going to have a parameter called graphics G. So you're going to use G dot, then the different draw methods for graphics to draw different things. Be aware that whenever you're drawing things like lines and circles and uh, rectangles and things like that, the coordinates are relative to that J component. There should be a capital C right there. Um, so yes, similar like Game Maker and every all the other older software programs, where Y goes from zero to the maximum size from top to bottom, then uh, X goes from left to right. There are more complex drawing methods. You can cast your graphics object, your G, to graphics 2D, and that will give you some. Uh, expanded graphics capabilities such as rotating, scaling, and shearing, and things like that. So here's the basic methods. So for rectangles, you got draw rect and fill rect, oval or ovals and circles. Which, uh, if you didn't know, a circle is just a specific case of an oval, kind of like a square is a specific case of a rectangle. So you can draw a circle using draw oval. Just make sure the height and width are equal, similar to a square. Uh, is a rectangle where, where the height and width are equal. Uh, lines, you just use G dot draw line. You specify the first X and Y coordinate to the second X and Y co coordinate. Use and draw text with G dot draw string. You just pass in the string that you want to draw and give it the X and Y position. And also Java has arc. So you can draw an arc, either filled or an outline of an arc. And you can set different colors for these using g.setColor. So here's an example of some of these. <clears throat> so the first one is a uh, filled arc in magenta, which is all red and all blue. The second picture here is of a circle. So you can see 100, 100 for width and height. So you use fill oval to draw that. If this one is a filled rect, a square, and then there is a... Uh, draw rec just does the outline I'm drawing that in orange and also you can do a rounded rec so that's something I haven't seen in a lot of languages so you basically pass the width and height of the rectangle then you also pass in these other two parameters which are like the roundness of the corners uh, which is kind of cool and also here's two calls to draw a line so it's just like a little X that I did right here so you uh, it just crosses like that. Then at the bottom here, I just have the different draw string methods for writing what each of those functions were. So let me run that. So Java, oh, what did I call this? Java, oh, I called it drawing primitives. So yeah, here it is. Uh, really doesn't do much, but just a basic example of how to get these different things on the screen. Uh, there is like a draw image as well, but uh, I'm not going to get into that today. I was thinking about, I, I just didn't have time to get into do draw images and loading images and things like that. 
So there's two types of inputs that you can do in Java. Uh, you can either do like event-driven or polling. So typically I do driven programs in Java. They're, they aren't very processor intensive or anything. So event-driven is like discrete events, like a mouse click. The mouse, mouse is pressed down or the mouse is released. Or a button press, the key is pressed or the key is released and, and things like that. The other type of input is like polling where you want like a joystick position every frame or you want the mouse pointer position every frame or you want the current state of a button. So you, basically polling is where you check every single update. So I won't be talking about that today. So with the event-driven input, uh, you want to define callback methods. Now these are all a part of this mouse listener class, which is a part of that Java aught event star that I mentioned earlier. So to get to handle mouse events, you have to implement these methods, uh, mouse pressed, mouse released, mouse clicked, mouse entered, and mouse exited. Uh, I do have that code. Yeah, here's the number graph, simple window. Uh, where is it at? Tic-tac-toe. Okay. Yeah, so what you want to do is you want to extend J component, then implement mouse listener. Then down here, I have the code for, yeah, mouse pressed right here. And all these other ones are just empty. Mouse released, mouse clicked, mouse standard, and mouse exited. But I believe these are abstract methods. Uh in, in the mouse listener class. So they're required to be implemented, even if they don't have anything. Now there is something called a mouse uh, adapter. There's adapter classes for each of these listeners. So that will implement all of those methods for you. But I believe if you uh, use the mouse adapter, then you can't, there's something about you can't do inheritance again. Oh, by the way, Java only has single inheritance. So if you extend J component, you can no longer extend anything, any other class. Uh, in other languages, well, the only one that I know is C++. It has multiple inheritance. So you can inherit, inherit from multiple classes. But Java, you can only do uh, inherit from one class at a time. I think there are some dynamic languages like I know Python will do multiple inheritance. Oh, okay. So it's it's more common than just like C++. Oh, okay. Yeah, I didn't know that. I know C++ has like really weird things like friend methods and all that. And I, I just, I've only done a little bit of C++. But yeah, I didn't know Python had multiple inheritance. I wonder if Ruby has it as well. I'll have to look into that. Yeah, I don't know. It might. Yeah, I'll look into it. Uh, okay, so uh, one important thing I always forget to do is add a mouse listener to your component, which is, this is like one of those Java things, which you probably don't have to do in a lot of other languages, but you got to add mouse listener, and then you want to pass in the class that implements all those methods that I mentioned earlier. So I'm just, since this is the class that implements those, I'm going to pass in this. Otherwise, your mouse clicks won't work at all. So... If you go in, you implement, you extend, you implement mouse listener and uh, implement all this and it doesn't work, it's probably because you forgot to add a mouse listener. And by the way, uh, implements is a way of doing an interface. So mouse listener, I believe, is actually an interface. So you're not actually 
like subclass in mouse listener, you're just uh, implementing it as an interface, its interface, which uh, that's a discussion for another time. Uh, yeah, so whenever you click the mouse, then I got some debug output, and it'll tell you exactly where you clicked on that J component. Let's see if I still have that in here. I think I commented out. So when when you press the mouse and you're going to get a mouse event, and we're just going to call it E. You can call it whatever you want to. I'm just going to call it E. And yeah, here it is right here. So if the game's playing, then we're going to system out print line. And then you can get the X position and the Y position by using E.getX and E.getY. And that will tell you exactly where on the uh, that component that you've clicked. <clears throat> So after you hand mouse point, after you do something, you want to call repaint because this is event driven. We're not updating the J component every frame, which is kind of different if you're accustomed to Unity and, and Game Maker. So you actually got to manually call repaint. And I think you can call repaint multiple times and it will actually repaint that when it has the chance to. So I don't think calling repaint multiple times is a bad thing. It's just... Sometimes it just bundles all those repaints up into one and just calls it once when it's ready to do so. <clears throat> uh, so, yeah, I talked about that. Uh, so, and so my example that I did, I wrote this little tic-tac-toe game. <clears throat> so we're going to convert the coordinates in our tic-tac-toe game uh, into cell rows and columns. So I'll show you how to do that. Uh-oh. So first of all, when we create, so this is my tic-tac-toe board class. So we're going to have an integer array of three by three. So I have these defined as constants, board rows, board calls. When I first started developing this, I just hard-coded the three in there, but that's not the proper thing to do. Uh, so whenever I create a new board object, 2D integer array, uh, then I just pass in the rows and calls. So this will make it so that if I want to have a 4 by 4 tic-tac-toe game or a, a 10 by 8 tic-tac-toe game, then we can change these up here. And it should, <laughs> should uh, work with any size 2D array. We're going to create an array of players. So we're just going to have two players. We're going to represent those by a string. Player 0 is X and player 1 is O. Then we're just going to alternate between those players. Um, then we're going to call restart when we start up. That's just a method that I defined, which initialize. Restart's really a bad name for that. I should have called it initialize game. So basically here in restart, we're going to loop through all the board array, uh, every cell in the board. We're going to set it to zero. So whenever somebody makes a move, we're going to set that cell to either a one, I believe a one or a two. Okay. Uh, and the one will represent X and the two will represent uh, player O. So we're going to set keep playing to true, current player to one, then repaint just so it has initial paint when it starts up. <clears throat> so, yeah, once it starts up, then it's just going to wait for input. So when we click, so let me go ahead and start this. So Java tick tack toe. So this is how it goes. So whenever you click, first player goes first. I really should have something on here that says, oh, player X go, player Y go. 
or player ogo. So then you just alternate. So put an O there, and then put an O there, and an X here. Then once you get a row or a column filled up by the same player, then it's going to say that player wins. It doesn't do anything cool like drawing a line through it or anything like that, but you can press restart and uh, play another game. So it does check diagonals, rows, and columns like that. Uh, so yeah, what's what's this doing behind the hood? So yeah, while the game is playing, we're going to get the X and Y coordinate. And you can see over here in my output, I still have the mouse pressed locations over here. So what we're going to do is uh, we're going to call this function that I wrote called mark cell. And that's going to take an, uh, a row and a column and then the current player. And the current player is just going to alternate between X and O by the set next player. Uh, set next player is, is kind of a <laughs> Easter egg hunt here. Yeah, set next player is just going to increment the current player. If the player number is greater than two, then we're going to set the player back to one. So it's just going to flop between X and X and O. Now we could add a third player in here. Actually, uh, we'll just have to change that to a three and then add a new player called Y or Z or something like that. So yeah, I never thought about a three-player tic-tac-toe game, but it seems like that would be possible. Um, so yeah, so this mark cell, we're going to pass it a row and column. But to get the row and column, then I'm going to have to call these methods called get cell row and get cell called. So I don't know if this is the best way to do it. I could have created like a point class or something that returns two values. The reason I have this broke up into one or two different functions is so that I can get an integer back. So you pass into Y coordinate. So basically all this is going to do is divide Y by the cell size, and that will give you the row. Then same for get cell column. We're going to divide X by the cell size, and that will give you the, the column number. Um, yeah, so then we're going to pass that row number and column number into mark cell. So that just takes the row and column and the cell value. So then it's going to say, is it a val valid move? So we're going to actually check if somebody's already put an O in that column, or if you've already put an X there or something there, we don't want to let you be able to click that again and put a new value in there. So what we're going to do is we're going to check and see if it equals zero in that cell. If it is, then we're going to set to that value of that player. Then we're going to say that was a valid move. So we're going to return is valid move. So that way we know that the player did a valid move. So after, if they did a valid move, we're going to repaint. Then we're going to check and see if there's a winner. Then we're going to also check and see if it's game over. So those, I think that's on my next slide here. Oh, actually here. Check win state and check game over state. So after every move, we've got to check to see if there's a winner. And also we have to check if it's game over. So to check if there's a winner, basically it's this big ugly loop here. So we're going to check and see if all of the values across a row are the same. And then we're going to check and see if all the values across the column are the same. And then there's a special case with the diagonals, which I'm doing right here. So that's basically going to check and from the upper left-hand corner to check and see if all those values going down in a diagonal fashion are the same, or from the upper right-hand corner to the upper or lower left-hand corner. So if there is a win state, we're going to return the value of the winner. Otherwise, I think it just returns negative one. Okay, so 
if there is a winner, if it's greater than zero, then we're going to print who the winner is. We're going to show that in a J option, which I was going to talk about here in a little bit. Yeah, dialog box. And actually print a simple message to a dialog box using this J option pane, show message dialog. Uh, it takes a J frame as a parameter, but you can just pass null. That's one thing that I really don't like about Java. Like if this was Unity or something, I could just use, I know it's bad, but I could use a uh, game object find to find the object that I'm looking for, maybe cache that in a variable. In Java, you actually have to pass that in as a parameter somehow. So if you don't pass in JFrame as a parameter to your board class, you don't have a reference to it. You have no way of getting a reference to it. As far as I'm aware, there may be some new way of doing it, but, but I'm not aware of how to do that. But you can pass null right here, and that just makes uh, makes it a default J, uh, J option pane. Uh, it is, I believe, a modal window, so if it won't let you click, well, let me go ahead and run it. Oh, it's still running. Whenever you win the game, it won't let you click on anything else outside of that. Well, outside of that uh, uh, window right there. So you can't go back and click anything else here. So let's see here. And the second parameter to your J option pane is the message uh, that you want to be displayed in that dialog box. So this this J option pane in swing is pretty nice. In the old version of Java, in the AWT, there is no J option pane. So actually you have to like subclass dialog, which is kind of like a dialog box. And it's a little bit more involved than just a one-liner like that, which is, I think is why they added this, because somebody just wants to show a dialog box and not have to implement a whole another subclass. Uh, okay, so I talked about the... There's also a mouse motion listener, so if you do have a game where you want to track where the mouse... It's kind of like polling, but not really, but it will give you in real time the current position of the mouse. You can implement mouse motion listener, which is different than mouse listener, and that will give you the current position of the mouse in real time. So I talked about that. Other GUI components, uh, a J button, if you want to put, put a button on there. That's what I have with that uh, restart. So if you click a few of these, you can press restart, and that restarts your game. <clears throat> so that's implemented using a J button, which I have that in this is it tic-tac-toe panel. Uh, J button. Okay, so I don't actually do a subclass of J button. I just call this J button and pass it the restart label, which is a constant. So in Java, one difference between C-sharp, constants, or finals uh so i just pass in restart right there and the reason i do this is because to get an event when a button is clicked you have to actually implement action listener and then you implement which is another uh, interface which has this abstract method called action perform so you have to implement action perform and it takes action event as a parameter and i just call it e right here so what this action event has is an action command, which you get by e, e .get action command. You can assign that to a string. Then what you do is you compare that command that's returned by e.getActionCommand with that label of that button, which is the restart label. So that's the reason why I have this constant here. Otherwise, we'd have to put restart, restart. Then if we change that uh, label, then we'll have to change it in our, all of our code. So if we just 
define it up here, we can change it up here, then in all the none of the code down here has to be changed. So what this stir command dot dot equals does, it's basically string comparison. I know in uh, C sharp, you just like I think you can just use the double equals. Uh, in C, you have to use the stir comp and check whether it equals zero. But in Java, you just use dot equals. And so if it equals that button name, then we just call that board restart method uh, that I talked about earlier. Talked about that, talked about that. Okay, jpanel. So the jpanel is basically a, com a container for multiple GUI components. So that's why I extended jpanel right here. Then I assigned this jpanel back to the jframe. Okay, so I could put multiple things in there. And then, then there's also layouts for these containers, like your jpanels. There's a border layout, which is what I used for that uh, content pane. So in a border layout, you have like uh, the center is the game here. And you can also define things as like south, north, east, and west. Uh, and if I go back to my other code right here, oh, crud. Go back to this code and go to my uh, file open and tic-tac-toe.java. Yeah, so I, you can see here when I create the get to content pane, I create the board and put it at the border layout center. And to put the pan that panel of buttons below it, I use border layout south. So by default, the default layout is the border layout. But you can do things like a grid layout where they're kind of laid out in a grid. Then a box layout is like where you uh, put components uh, from like left to right, from top to bottom. I think there's also a flow layout, so it's kind of like a flow layout. Uh, a few different differences from C Sharp, since these languages are so um uh, similar um and i did this all for memory so you may want to double check these or i'll go double check these later but in java you have a boolean and it's actually a b-o-o-l-e-a-n uh, so that's your basic true false false data types and c sharp it's a bool in java you use the extends keyword to extend a class and c it's just uh, a uh, a colon uh, to refer to a superclass in Java, you use super, and C-sharp, it's base. To import a library in Java, it's import, and C-sharp, it's using. Get a random number in Java, as I talked about earlier, it's math.random. And C-sharp, uh, I, I think this is actually Unity-specific here. It's random.range. Maybe it's C, I can't or C-sharp. I can't remember. Actually, I what? think these days in Java, the... There's another class that most people use, java.util.random. Oh, okay. So that may be a better method to use in math.random. Okay, so yeah, it sounds like in Java there's multiple options there for getting a random number. I know like in GameMaker and uh, like Unity, there's like a, a random method for getting a random float from 0 to 1. Then there's an, another random method for getting a random integer value, so... So yeah, yeah, I'll I'll change that and put uh, yeah Java util random in here. Yeah, that one actually it's a class that has multiple methods. So it has like get next float, get next int, get two versions actually. One that's the, actually you put in a range, get next bool boolean, and so on. 
Oh, okay. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. So definitely use yeah, math. Armor. Yeah. Thanks for, yeah. Thanks for letting me know. Yeah. I didn't know that. Okay. Uh, so, and also for constants, as I mentioned earlier, Java uses final C sharp uses cons and a print debug text. As I mentioned earlier, system out print line C sharp using unity is debug.log. I think there's a specific, I forget what it is in C sharp. Uh, it's, it's console.log. Console. Console.write. Oh, console.write. Cool. Yeah, I knew it's something like that. I always have to look it up. That, that's me. It's like, well, I know the basics of all these languages. I just don't commit all of the syntax to memory. I think that's just kind of like, but it is helpful when you're like writing stuff in real time. Okay. Anyway, so packaging your game. And I don't have an example of this, but you can put. Uh, all of your class files into a jar file, which is a Java archive. Um, and that just makes it a little bit easier to distribute your game other, uh, rather than like giving people a bunch of class files. One thing you got to do is if you put it in a jar file, you have to have a manifest file. I think it's usually, I forget what it's called, like manifest.mf or something like that. And you got to put it in like a web int folder or something like that, manifest folder. Uh, but in that manifest file, file you're going to declare the default class because otherwise it won't know what class has the the system out uh, uh, public static void main. Uh, so you got to find that in your manifest file. So I won't go into that. I'm just going to say it's there. It makes it a little bit easier. So you can just give people a jar file with your game. Then if the person you give your jar file to already has the JRE installed on their system, then they can just double click that jar file and it will run your game. Okay, so I have some examples <laughs> of some of my old projects that I wrote years ago. Uh, see if I can find, I thought I already had it brought up. So let's go L Smith presentations. Um, no, presentations, Java for Game Dev, uh, Project. So this is some of the games that I wrote a long time ago. One that I was kind of proud of is... Uh, I went to the wrong directory. Is this Mind Trial game? So I wrote this as one of my upper-level uh, computer science courses when I was at Georgia Tech. So you can create two players, Foo and Bar, add player... And then start game. So one thing cool about this is like I used the same old bytecode, the same class files, and it still run, or the same jar file. So what you want to do with this is you want to roll. And one thing that I always wanted to add to this game is like to show where you can move. But it's a little quiz game, and it has a timer, so it counts down. And you have 30 seconds to answer the question. So, yeah, basically this is Trivial Pursuit. So imaginary line. I think this one was Equator. I think this was Equator. Yeah, okay. So the objective of this game, you keep rolling until you get a question wrong. So one, two, three, four, five. Uh, following smaller. So that one was Russia right there. So the objective is to land on these pie slice areas. So like right there. And what's the name given to you? The study of rocks. So geology. So yeah, if you answer a question correctly when you're on one of these pie slices, then you get a piece piece of the pie added. Uh, to your marker right there. So you just keep answering questions. Uh, that one, you can tell how the oldest was like the, the biggest news story right now. And it was Y2K. So you can tell when this was written, 
but yeah, basically I think this was implemented in, in a canvas and all the source code for all of this is, is out there. I think I put this on all this on my GitHub. Uh, but yeah, it's been a long time since I looked at this, but yeah, it's basically kind of the same thing with the tic-tac-toe. I have a board and I think I actually made an array containing all the coordinates for all the, the slice or all the spaces on the board. So it just checks to see whether you've clicked in one of those cells. So there's quite a bit of code. Uh, I, I think I was a little bit better at documenting code back then. <laughs> so I actually had comments for all the... Yeah, and this is pretty nice if you format your co comments like this, your uh, uh, function comments, then it, you can actually... There used to be a java.program, which can... It makes all of your function declarations. It'll generate HTML files uh, with kind of like a little API for you, and it pulls in all these parameters, especially the ones that use these at signs, so you can actually define things like uh, the return values and the author. I think up at the top, no, I didn't have it for this one, has author and things like that defined. Yeah, so that was the cool little Trivial Pursuit game. There's a few other projects. So, like one of the class assignments we had, if I can go back up here, projects. Uh, so, is this P7? One of the projects we had was a star viewer. Now, I didn't, I, I implemented the viewer for this. Uh, they gave us all the data, but it's basically this little star viewer where you could zoom in and view these constellation, constel, constellations. Uh, you move right. Oops, one move left. It's got this little navigation buttons right here. Be nice if I had scroll bars for this, but uh, you can actually turn off the names and just view that, or you can turn off the lines, or turn on the names with only the dots. I think there's an option that I implemented. You can change the color to like uh, red and you say okay. And it'll change the lines and the names to that color. Uh, <clears throat> you can make the stars a lot larger like that so you can really see see where they're at like that. See so your options. Change it to like cyan. Makes it a little bit more readable. That was a star viewer that I did for a class project. Uh, this was a fence game <clears throat> that we had to do, and basically this alternates between red and blue. So the objective of this game was to make a fence from one side to the other. Uh, <clears throat> so player one is red, so I want to make <clears throat> a red fence from side to side, like that. And really, you're supposed to try to block the other player from creating a fence. So one downside to this, I don't think I ever implemented the <laughs> the end state for this. So you can actually start a new game just by pressing that. So it doesn't actually de determine the winner. Uh, this was a program. It's kind of like a little keyboard. But unfortunately, it looks like... Now, here's one thing that doesn't work anymore. It doesn't play the sounds. But you're supposed to be able to, like, enter like notes to play and submit that, like... B, C, A, but that doesn't work anymore. I'm going to have to go in. You can see in the background, it's displaying a stack trace. So if you ever try to reference uh, like an old class or anything like that, you'll see that stack trace in the background. Um, uh, This is another program I kind of just wrote for fun. It's a little solitaire game. See if I can... For some reason, it doesn't want to display the graphics on the first frame, but you can actually... 
like drag. So this does implement the mouse motion listener. So whenever you click, you click and then it detects where the mouse position is like in real time. So you can click that and then move that over. So then it also detects clicks on these cards as well. Then if you do have like an ace, you can move that up there. So it's a simple little solitaire game. Um, <clears throat> I did do an encryption project. So this really isn't a game, but it's kind of cool. So I can say like Knoxville game design for a mess message. So I wrote this for a cybersecurity class a long time ago. So one of the types of uh, uh, encryption methods is the uh, Caesar cipher. So that basically takes every letter in your message and adds one. So like a K, uh, H-I-J-K-L turns into an L and an N turns into an O. So you can like encrypt messages pretty easily. Then you can kind of change the shift in that. So you can create different messages based on the shift value there. I think I've only... Uh, impl I only ever implemented like three or four different mess uh, encryption methods methods with this. Uh, one that was cool is this columnar transposition. So that'll take your message and lay them out in four different columns, and it'll, you'll get your secret your cipher text by reading those down. Uh, I actually did do uh, DES encryption, but I'm not going to run that right now because that one takes a long time. And it does give you some debug information here on the side. Oh, and one that I wrote for fun was a, a triple triad game. So I think I can expand this. So this was from Final Fantasy VIII. And for some reason, the sound doesn't work in this anymore. But it's kind of like a little collectible, uh, collectible card battle game where you select your cards. And I'm... I did use the card images from Final Fantasy, so you can basically drop down. This did have some simple AI. Um, I mean, it can be, you know, so, but I think it just puts a card in a random position. I never did finish that. But the objective is to beat all the other cards. So, like a three on the left side beats a one on that side. Uh, so, the, the objective is to get. A greater value than their opponent and this did actually have the the sound there's something broken in the new uh java with reading and sound or they deprecated the old sound methods for some reason i want to mention this this was a uh, this was a trade wars that I wrote a long time ago trade wars was a bbs game that you could play so you could actually use this to aid you in playing the game and map sectors, map the universe, and things like that. You could actually connect to different BBSs, but I think you got to have it already set up, uh, your account set up and everything. I was trying to log into some of these and get it set up, but I didn't finish that in time. Um, I have a few like small little programs. Uh, I'll just show this graphing one that I did real quick. So you could actually create a, a graph and like call it foo and create different values so you can add like a is five b is ten and c is like say four add and then okay and it create a little graph for you and you can add and remove that oh and you could actually change the style of graph to like a bar graph or a line graph things like that Okay, I think that's all the stuff I wanted to show. I had a little simple quiz game. But I'm not going to show that off. Okay, well, I think that's it for Java. Um, 
Anybody have any questions or comments? <laughs> Unnecessarily. I don't have anything in specific to comment or mention. Oh, okay. That's cool. Well, I hope everybody found it interesting. And, yeah, it's just another option out there for making games. Uh, I think it definitely, if you're doing, like, uh, event-driven games, I think it's definitely a great tool for doing those. Let's see here. I would, I would say that even though it's kind of good for you, I guess you might say, to use the text editor and the Java C command, that realistically... I would probably get NetBeans or Eclipse or maybe IntelliJ, even though I don't like that. But get get an IDE because then it'll package and make the jars and everything for you. <laughs> yeah, I didn't talk anything about IDEs. Yeah, that's kind of like a whole nother talk. But yeah, definitely. See, I've used IntelliJ quite a bit, uh, but yeah. I think they're all kind of the same, but yeah, I know they have like things where uh, they have like ant builds and maven builds and all that, so it'll build everything for you and you don't have to worry about running all that by command line. Let's... Yeah, I think I've used a very, very tiny amount of Java and especially coming from .NET, it is, it's good to use an ID that is a little more intimidating because you have to configure a lot of that stuff instead of just like it being done for you. So if you're going to get started, I would probably allocate some, some time to, to just figuring that out. And in the, I think the examples you gave were really good for that because you know, you're not, you're not plugging in a bunch of complex libraries or anything. Yeah. I think it's always good to know like the backup, method and everything but uh yeah if i'm doing stuff at work or whatever as you do use an ide especially if you're doing like android because like a lot of the android stuff if you're not using a game library it's written in java and i think it almost requires you to use uh i think the new version of android studio like requires intellij or netbeans or one of them i can't remember which one but um I just downloaded it, and it's basically a modified version of IntelliJ. Whereas I think in the past it was based on Eclipse, mm-hmm. but yeah. now it's based on IntelliJ. Yeah, and that's the nice thing is like IDEs, they do syntax highlighting, they do, what is it, IntelliSense, the code completion, all that. And you can also set up different versions of Java, so if you have multiple different jdks you can pick which one you want to use and what you can also target different build versions which you can also do that by command line but we're using specific older uh, apis and things like that but uh yeah definitely ids are the way to go for uh, for more complex projects uh i just want to show off really quick a game that i did for gm48 uh it's called mr adventure <laughs> so it's a little uh treasure collecting game so the objective is uh there's all these different types of treasure and enemies such as these little birds and uh, spiders and at the top i'll just show a video i'm not going to actually play it or anything see if i make this bigger right here oh am i sharing out oh crap no okay let me share i was about to say I'm, i'm getting better to remember when i'm not sharing okay share screen share oh Sure. Okay. 
So yeah, this is Mr. Adventure right here. Make them bigger. And so basically you start out. So one thing that I really focus, so it'll say at the top of the screen, like collect blue gems or collect red coins. And you have like five, eight seconds to collect it. Then it'll change to a different thing to have to collect. So it's constantly you're having to pick up different things. You got like the little hourglass icon at the top. Uh, to let you know how much time you have until you have to collect something new. I made it where the thing you have to collect is flashing, so it isn't like, oh, you got to figure out, look at the thing at the top, you kind of just see what's flashing and collect that. Uh, but one thing I did focus on with this game is making uh, the difficulty curve increase. So, like on the first level, you only have two different types of treasure which are the gem and the coin and only two different colors which are blue and red so then in the second level i added a new tre treasure or no i added a new color which is green then on the final level i added a new treasure which is the chalice uh so you can see here we kind of skip before it here so on this uh final level you got a lot of stuff going on you got a lot of different uh a lot of different treasures, more enemies. So basically the birds go in a circle, basically implement that using sine and cosine. And then uh, the spiders, those, those are basically like your Octoroks in Legend of Zelda. Uh, they move in a random direction for like two or three seconds and then stop for a second or two, then move in a new random direction. Uh, also, I had to make sure that if one of the enemies did reach the bottom or the top or the one of the sides of the screen then then you change the velocity so they don't keep going in an infinite direction uh, i did add like a health meter so you can get hit three times i wanted to have it where you'd have a whip like indiana jones and whip the enemies but that's <laughs> this was a 48 hour game jam i think i only actually spent like a day working on this so if, if i wanted to go back and and work on this more i would uh maybe add away different items and things like that or different weapons that you can use um yes and then all all treasure collected okay so i worked on that also been still working on i guess i will play this one uh the sdl shooter game see if i can start that up real quick so I created new, two new enemies for SDL Shooter. One is an enemy. It's kind of like uh, the King Blob in Dragon Quest, if anyone's ever played that, where you, you attack the enemy so many times. And, oh, oh I should have run this by command line. Let me close that. Let me go back. CD. Um, CD Project. CD SDL Shooter. Then I want to run... Do I have it? Okay, I want to run SDL Shooter with no sound, no music. Let's see if that works. Oh, I didn't want to run Visual Studio. Uh, I don't want to run .c file. <laughs> Let's see if that works. Oh, no. Let's see here. Yeah, but basically I added an enemy that breaks out into multiple pieces let's see here cd build cd sdl shooter windows and sdl shooter with those same parameters if that works okay i think this works okay so i think he's on this level oh so i did add the spider enemies where the these guys jump around. I think, let me 
So I still have it where you can switch between multiple weapons, and each weapon uses a different amount of energy to use based on what power. So you got three different keys, Z, X, and C. So Z will do a, a small shot, X will do a little bit more with two, and C will do four at a time. But each weapon has a different uh, effect, like this is a blast weapon. But I'm just trying to get past these guys right now. Let's see here. But ideally, I want to have it where after each stage you get a new weapon. Okay, die suckers. <laughs> um, guys are so annoying. Uh, okay, so this is the new one that I added. So you, you blast get this guy so many times. Then he'll split out in four other guys. And then when you kill him, he splits out into eight more guys. So you got to avoid those things. Now, the other enemy that I implemented is these binary guys. So I don't have any graphics for these guys yet, but this is an idea that I had for a game called blasting bits which some people may remember from years ago but basically it gives you a number in decibel so the the trick is to actually shoot in binary that value so two if you shoot the second one over that's a two so for like a seven it's zero zero one 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 so click one 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 and you kill those guys so these range from three to five bits so for like this one you shoot zero zero one it's another 7, so it's 0, 1, 1, 1. And 15 is also, was it 1, 1, 1, 1. So for 3, it's 0, 0, 1, 1. 5 is 0, 1, 0, 1. 14 is what? That's 8 and 4? 8 and 2. I don't know. I don't know my binary. <laughs> uh, oh, it's 8, 4, and 2. Okay. Uh, 8 plus uh, 4 plus 1. So so basically you just got to in, input that binary sequence to defeat those guys. I want to go back and add more, add graphics for those guys a little bit later. So yeah, this is currently on my itch.io if anybody wants to, anybody wants to check this out. Okay, so there's a few, couple other things that I wanted to mention. Uh, yeah, so these guys, EC MMO Gamers, they're still going strong. I wanted to mention these guys. They do a Hearthstone podcast. They're here in Knoxville. It's Avantes and Zoroshio. Zoroshio. But they do a week, they, they've been doing it for a long time now, but a weekly Hearthstone pro podcast. They start out talking about like the latest Hearthstone news. And then in the second half, which I don't think they actually put in the podcast, they just do it in the video. They actually play a game of Hearthstone, like using the latest cards and things like that. Also, wanted to give a shout out to Knox Dev. They they've helped promote our group and uh, things like that. They do have a Discord channel, which you can or no, they have Slack. They don't have Discord chat. They don't have Discord, but you can click on Slack and da, 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 da. Oh, I don't want an invite. I just want to go there. I think it's uh, Slack dot Knox Devs dot org is that it no i don't know where their slack is but yes yeah, it's, it's a good way to find other developers here in knoxville they got like uh uh blogs i think i think dylan i think you're on here and i think yeah there's dylan wolf so you can actually find our blogs by clicking like a link there and they'll take you to dylanwolf.com and i think i'm on here levi smith 
if you want to add yourself to this, it's a little bit tricky. You actually have to go to their GitHub and check out like their project. I forget what it was called. Um, and then update it that way. Yeah, here's Mike. If you want to check out Mike's blog, he's still up here and everything. They, I think they used to have uh, groups. So I think we're on the groups. Hopefully we're still on the groups page. <laughs> Uh, yeah, Knoxville Game Design. So if you click that, that'll take you directly to our Knoxville Game Design page. I think to put like a cool picture on here and other stuff, you actually have to, like I was saying, download or check out their, their GitHub project and update it there and alert somebody. But yeah, check out Knox Devs. They, they have quarterly events. They had one a week or two ago at that uh, guitar place on Kingston Pike. I didn't go to it. They had like lightning talks and things like that. Yeah, so I think uh, that's about it. So I can see my mobile gamer. Okay, so I'm gonna that's gonna wrap it up for February 2020. Um, let's see here, where's that? Okay, uh, check out Dylan Wolf. He's DylanWolf.com. Dylan, do you have anything else you wanted to talk about this month? Uh, no. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, so he's Wolf on uh, DylanWolf.com on the web and Twitter. Uh, check out Jacob. He's on uh, Game Jolt, and we'll have all the links on the website. Hey, Jeffrey, did you have anything else you wanted to show off or talk about? See, Jeffrey may have left. Uh, no, I'm, I'm still here. Oh, okay. No, I'm my, I don't really have games per se. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, we'll have another get together in April. Oh, I, I also wanted to say, if anybody ever wants to get together, I know it's like six months before we see each other now. If anybody wants to get together for whatever reason, just let me know. I mean, we can do a lunch or evening thing or what. I just seems like Ludum Dari's always been good because it kind of set the meeting time for us. <laughs> uh, thanks, Jared. Thanks for joining us, Jared. Uh, when find all of us here on uh, on the Discord. Well, thanks for having me. Yeah, do you uh, have anything else you want to talk about or show off or anything? Well, I don't know. I have a my space shooter is a lot isn't new and it's doesn't have as much content as yours, but I guess I could show that because it is in Java. Yeah, that'd if be I cool. Figure out how to show. <laughs> yeah, it's the right button. Okay, so. This is, it's flickering a little. I don't know if it handles being. And I had my hand on the mouse instead of playing. Oh, that's okay. Very cool. So, so this is just like a spent simple, like a, uh, uh, oh, what like space yeah, they invaders. Yeah, kind of swarm around. Yes, it's like a simple space invaders. And it has three enemies, and this one should get the second, and around level nine, it'll get the third. You saw the thing that kind of speeds down. Yeah, so the enemies, do they just move in random positions and just shoot random? More or less. I mean, they have a cer they're coded to kind of use a kind of circle around, mm -hmm. but they kind of change their angle randomly as they go. Oh, okay. So they just like pick, pick a random direction and then... Just going that direction for a certain period of time. And that one just comes and has a sinusoidal pattern. Oh, okay. That's the one thing I've never figured out how to do is like uh, the Bezier curves and th like if I want to set something to go on a certain path. I don't... 
I think what I actually did was I have it going straight and forward, and then I make the base the um, X position on the like the sign of the Y. Oh, okay. So, so is it, so obviously this is like a real time game. Have you done any like uh, like frame frame count or frame frames per second performance? So does this run like at thirty frames a second or sixty or? I think on my computer it gets sixty. I might have programmed it for thirty. Now on, I have noticed that Java isn't the most efficient at running things if it's swing. Mm-hmm. It creates like. When I actually looked at it, it creates like 17 or 18 threads just for this. Oh, wow. <laughs> Where it's really a, a single-thread game, basically, but it's creating 17 or 18 extra threads just to support swing. And then this game that, sh that should have been perfectly fine on an early 80s machine will be a little bit laggy on a lower-end sort of middle-of-the-last-decade machine. Yeah. Now, if you have a modern one, it's perfectly fine, but... Yeah, very cool. Um, yeah, I forgot what I was going to ask now. <laughs> yeah, it looks very cool. Um, let's see here. I thought it might be good to share, because we're talking about Java, and that's like one of my two Java games, the other one being the Pac-Man clone that you mentioned at the last meeting. Yeah, yeah, we shared that one off last time. Very cool. Um, so do you have to, I remember Dylan asked this question about one of my games. Do you have to handle like Delta time in your game? Like if, if you've got more time waiting to get to the next frame, do you have to put like a sleep in there between frames? Uh, yeah, there's, there's a, there is a sleep if it takes too much time more than it's intended. And there is a Delta time. Um, and yeah, that's the one thing. If you want that kind of real time game in, in Java, unless you're using someone else's engine or library, you are going to have to write your own game loop and your own delta time and things like that. Yeah, it's almost like you're creating your own game engine from scratch almost. But yeah, I, I like well, examples of showing that uh, like Java game games running in real time just to show that it, yeah, it can be done. And yeah. well, I guess in a way it was cause basically I wrote the Pac-Man game from just totally from scratch, and then I that's the game I started after that. And that's the one where I realized I'm going to re, I'm going to cut and paste ninety percent of my code from the other one. So I stopped, set it aside, and sort of pulled out an engine out of the Pac-Man game. And then that's based on an engine that's based on the Pac-Man game. See, if that I, makes any sense. Yeah, <laughs> I've never like done much code reuse in Java. So are you just like taking your class files and putting them in another project? Or are you actually making like a jar file with that? Or is there some other way that you're building a library to make that reusable um i have a version of it in a jar i often or, but i often end up just cutting them like put uh, including the source code because that that way i get one jar out at the end and yeah that yeah i don't know how well a jar in a jar would work but i guess if you had two jars side by side and if your game's in one jar and your library's in another jar can your game code in one jar reference the libraries in another jar? I don't, I don't know how well that would work, but I guess that's... I mean, yeah, it it does. That's how libraries are usually distributed. You don't put the jar inside the jar, but you basically put it somewhere else where it knows to look for those libraries. 
You just like set your class path to the second jar so it knows yeah. about. Oh, okay, gotcha. It's like a directory where you have all your libraries. But to me, that's kind of that makes sense for something big like a JMonkey Engine game. For a small game, I'd rather it all be in one jar. Mm-hmm. So for that reason, I just um, cut and paste the folder and put and just include all the files that way, so that when I hit um, build in the IDE, it just gives me a game with one jar yeah yeah that sounds like that's the the way to do it there uh, one thing i forgot to mention earlier is like if you're do, if you are to like define i think java has the concept of packages so if you define a, a package and you have like this deep cons- uh, complex structure in your package like i got com levi d smith foo bar baths and your actual files have to be in that same structure but as Jared was saying earlier, if you're di- if you're using an IDE, your IDE will handle all that for you. But I have gotten into like class path hell and things like that, just trying to get things in the right folders where they're supposed to be because that's the way the package is defined. And one of those fun things about Java. Okay, that's going to wrap it up. Uh, yeah, so yeah, I'm Levi Smith at levidsmith.com, GA Tech Grad on social media. Uh, you can find our website, Knox Game Design, or knoxgamedesign.org. Uh, let's see here, Knoxville Game Design. And also, we're Knox Game Design on Twitter. Make sure you go to the website. And check out uh, the mailing list if you want to be uh, notified of updates and things like that. So, you know, we appreciate everybody listening and watching, and we'll be back in a month.